sometimes people have a hard time believing what they are being told. Perhaps you remember this last week. It was April Fools, and maybe you heard something or read something and just thought for one second longer about the truth before you bought into it. You know, jokingly, I've, I've read that April Fool's Day is the only day of the year that people actively question what they see on TV or online. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I know some pastors that have a good time with it. A pastor friend of mine every year thinks about a different way that he can try to fool his congregation by invitation to an event that they're going to have. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, blessing of pets, and, and this year it was actually that if they found five gold eggs at the church, they would get a, like a pastor bobblehead or something like that. But I don't think that April Fool's Day is the only day that we question what happens. I don't think April Fool's Day the, is the only time that we consider the truth of the stories that we see. You know, you've, you've probably heard phrases like, you don't say, I don't believe it. You know, sometimes we begin stories by saying, you will never believe what happened to me. I think we say these phrases because stories are deeply involved in our life. Stories about people, stories about friends, stories about the news are all part of how we make sense of the world. They're how we make sense of life. But if we take it a step further, the way we understand stories and our inclination to believe stories is determined by the values that we hold in our knowledge of the world as a whole. So when we hear stories that don't line up with our values or when we hear stories that don't line up with what we know about the world, then we're less likely to believe what is told to us. And I don't think we're alone in this. When things don't line up to our beliefs, when things don't line up to our understanding, we're not alone because other people deal with the same thing each and every day. I think we can find that even with the disciples, questioning and having disbelief when they heard about the resurrection. Let's take a look at Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, right now. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of their Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, 
Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Is it the opening mood of Easter morning is, it's one of surprise. It's one of astonishment. It's one of fear. It's one of confusion. You know, we have the benefit of looking back on all of Scripture and seeing how it points to Jesus and how we knew that the cross was never going to be the end of the story for him, that there was going to be a resurrection and it was going to signify the new beginning. And that empty tomb that we celebrate this morning is the fulfillment of all the promises that Jesus made all the promises that God made that his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love would see to it that we would be restored. You know, we can look back on all the times that Jesus talked about the resurrection. All the times that Jesus talked and maybe it just slipped past the disciples understanding truly what was going to happen. And now it seems like the disciples just don't get it again. The words of the women just seemed like crazy talk, and they didn't believe what they heard. Jesus often talked about the resurrection with the disciples. You know, and, and the disciples actually experienced the resurrection with Jesus. We can think about Luke chapter 8, when Jairus' daughter had died. And Jesus still goes there and says, she's just sleeping. And he takes a few of the disciples in with him and, and they raise her from the dead or they awake her from sleeping. And Jesus says, don't say anything to anyone. We know of another resurrection that the disciples and other people witness too. It's, it's the resurrection of Lazarus who had been in the tomb for, for days. But that's not the only time in, in Luke 9 this passage that was kind of alluded to. Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. You know, Jesus foretold of what was going to happen three times in the book of Luke. And then other times where Jesus talks or brings in the theme of resurrection, we see it in, in Luke chapter 15, where, where two of the great parables that Jesus shared talked about finding what was lost. In Luke 15, 24, the story says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and so they celebrated. And then in Luke 15, 32, again, they celebrate and glad because the brother was found. He was dead, but now he is alive. You know, Jesus elsewhere too, you know, kind of uh, in a 
more hurtful things, you could say. Um, in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, that if the people didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not even be convinced if someone would rise from the dead, saying that you know, even if someone rises from the dead there, you're not going to believe what's actually happening. And even with how often Jesus talked about the resurrection, no one was actually prepared for him to rise from the grave. They had not dreamed that the same person would ever rise from the grave because it doesn't fit in with the way they thought about the world. Their stories of resurrection were not legitimately the same person who was dead rising bodily to take their own body back and to be living. The assumption of resurrection or second coming was that someone with a similar spirit to someone who has passed. So that's why, you know, Jesus says, who do you say I am? You know, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're this. If they were thinking it was going to be like Elijah or John the Baptist or someone like Moses that would have a similar spirit to a new person living in a new physical body. Not that someone dead would rise from the ground three days later. But this is what happens on the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took the spices and they went to the tomb. As the women were going to the tomb, they were fully expecting to find Jesus dead. The women didn't have spices along just in case Jesus was still dead. They came because they knew they had to finalize the burial procedures. They knew that when people went to the grave, they didn't get up the next day. It wasn't a long-term sleep solution that you rise reinvigorated. They went to the tomb fully expecting Jesus to be there, lying in the same state that he was left in. But then there's that surprise. This big, large stone that they had put there and, and the guards that were there to guard the stone so no one would take Jesus is all of a sudden rolled away from the tomb. You know, these stones weren't just you know, small garden stones. They were enormous stones that, that were put in these channels that were right in front of the tomb. And in this enormous stone that would take multiple people probably to move is gone. It's the first hint that something is wrong. It's like when you arrive expecting one thing, but you see something completely different. They might have been a little bit heightened. And so they, they entered and, and they didn't see the Lord Jesus. They didn't see his body there anymore. He was missing. And notice that they called him Lord. It wasn't just Jesus, but it was Lord. Someone who was Lord of their life at this point. And I'm sure, like anyone in that situation, they would, they would begin to wonder what, what happened to the body. We have these spices. We're supposed to finalize the burial. Someone must have stolen Jesus. Someone must have taken his body. We, we can't find it. And as they were still perhaps frightened and wondering and concerned, as they were still trying to figure out what happened, 
all of a sudden these these two men we know them as angels but angels often can sometimes appear as men and so they appear as men here in clothes that gleamed like lightning and they stood beside them and the women bowed down and then the men said why are you looking for the living among the dead why are you looking for the living among the dead here the the ladies you know uh they say that the ladies rushed away to tell the the disciples what happened but that might not have actually been like right away because in the gospel of mark the ladies actually just went away frightened in mark chapter 16 verse 8 it says this, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They apparently didn't tell anyone for long because at some point they decided to tell the, the, the disciples. But I think they were highly fearful. You saw Macaulay, he's a New Testament professor at Wheaton College. He says this, Easter is a frightening prospect for the women. The only thing more terrifying than a world with Jesus dead was one in which he was alive. The women, as I said, didn't, didn't go to the tomb looking for hope. They had, had gone to the tomb for a place to mourn for a place to finalize burial procedures, for a, a place to grieve. They, they were in this amount of despair having the person that they, they saw as the Messiah die. And they wanted to be left there. But, but they didn't get to stay in that point. They didn't get to stay in that point of fear because, because within that uh, fright and that wonder and that amazement and that experience that they had with these men with dazzling clothes they they go on and they 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 leave that fear perhaps behind and they bring along the hope that they had received from these dazzling dressed men the hope of why are you looking for the living among the dead for he is risen But as much as we want to believe that that dazzling dressed people gave hope, they also gave them something difficult. The women were still living in the world that Jesus had been betrayed, that Jesus had been crucified just days earlier. And they returned to what Macaulay writes was a dangerous gift. It was a dangerous gift to have hope in the power of God. It was a dangerous gift to recognize that God was this unending reservoir of forgiveness and abundance of love. It was a dangerous gift because who could believe such a thing that, that a dead man would rise from the grave? And, and who would believe the women? Apparently not even the disciples. It sounded like 
a smattering of words. It sounded like it wasn't making sense. And, and just as the disciples were surprised, they, they just didn't believe. You know, we, we often give Thomas a hard time because he, was, he wasn't there when Jesus came in, in the flesh and he wanted to put his hand in the side and he wanted to put his finger where the nail went. But in reality, no one believed right away. They were all fearful. They were fearful because they were in this world that was difficult. The women weren't ones who their testimony would be respected even at the court level. And yet they were given this dangerous gift, this, this hope to share, but who knows if anyone would believe them. I wonder about us. Macaulay writes that to a point soon we're going to be leaving the tombs of quarantine. <laughs> Returning to our normal world. And I think it would be a disaster unless we recognize that we're going back to a world that is desperate for the need of healing. And it just so happens that we find our healing from an empty tomb in Jerusalem. We find our hope from Jesus who empowers his disciples by his resurrection to live in the same way that he did. That in or that out of the tomb that we would embody compassion that out of the tomb we would contend for just societies together, that out of the tomb we would be involved in the work of forgiving one another. And when we think about that, when we think about that task that Jesus calls us to, to live out that hope in our society, perhaps we realize how frightening it can be. Jesus is asking you and me to be completely present with everyone just as he was. Who is worthy of such a task? To actually embody God's love to other people. Who is worthy to, to give compassion? That we could help create more just societies that mimic God's society. Who's worthy? If Jesus thought, and then God thought that women in the ancient Near East who, whose testimony wouldn't believe, believed, that they were worthy of being the first ones to experience Jesus' resurrection, that he would take the lowly and lift them up, then perhaps even in these moments where we're fearful of how we would embody God's love, of how we would live out his grace and compassion, of how we would contend for more just societies, instead of being stunned to silence, that's where we receive that hope from Jesus, that strength from his resurrection, 
that strength from the gift of the Spirit, which is in our life, that we too can, can go on and instead of being silent, that we can lift our voices for justice. That we can lift our voices for righteousness and grace and mercy and peace. That we can embody the fruit of the Spirit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness. I think this one can be hard. Of self-control. God calls us to, to take this dangerous gift of hope that is his resurrection and not keep it to ourselves. Not to stay silent in our own corner with our own people. He tells us just as he told the women through the dazzling men to go out and tell them. Go out and share the good news that he is risen. So when we find ourselves in a spot where we want to remain silent, we only have to look to the resurrection of Jesus to find our hope and the strength to speak up and follow the way of Christ. Let's pray that we are strengthened by that empty tomb in Jerusalem to leave our tombs empty following the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we we thank you for this message that you didn't lay in the grave and that you use people who weren't expected to share your news. We thank you that you 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 strengthen them that even though in Mark it says they went away fearful, that you empowered them that they actually would could work through that fear and work through that desire to be silent and to go speak to the apostles. And that too, that that even though the, the disciples didn't believe right away, that you fostered belief in them, that they would follow you and that many people would come to Christ through them. So we pray for us as, as we live in our life today, as we leave our tombs of quarantine in the next several weeks, more literally, uh, me right now, quarantined in my family, that you would empower us to embody your life and your kingdom each and every day that we live. It's in the power of Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.